Hey everybody, welcome to the Chamber Channel's Five Questions podcast. This is the place where we take a deep dive with industry leaders for an inside look at their world and how they can make a difference in yours. There are storytellers and then there are storytellers. This is a podcast unlike any we've done so far. When you get the opportunity to sit down with one of Hilton Head Island's living legends, you do it. Native Gullah Islander Tom Barnwell is one of Hilton Head Island's patriarchs of Gullah culture. He literally wrote the book on it, entitled Gullah Days, Hilton Head Island Before the Bridge. He plans to be around until he's the ripe old age of 119, he says. And we sat down with him and he told us a story or two about the island's past. Let's listen. Mr. Barnwell, can you tell us what it was like growing up on Hilton Head um, for you before the bridge was built? I must say life was fantastic on Hilton Head growing up. I was not aware of how wonderful life was like until I went off the island and after many years of education at St. Helena Island, the old Penn School, Penn Community Services, and into the Air Force is when I realized how wonderful life was like on Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. Even though in the early ages of my coming up on Hilton Head, we didn't have electricity and we didn't have a road that connected us to the mainland. We got across by boats, was there a as ferry? Well as was there a ferry? Bateaus. Oh, bateau. Okay. Was there uh, a ferry at that time too? No, there no was ferry. not a ferry. Wow. There was uh, in 1937, I believe it was. Uh, Mr. Charlie Simmons uh, started a service from Broad Creek by way of the Fusky Island to Savannah, Georgia. Quite a change. I think, and make sure I've got this right, uh, Mr. Barnwell, but. Is it you now live on the land and own the land where your family was once formerly enslaved? Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, not only not only I live on land that uh, has been in the family for over 137 years. Uh, our oldest son lived in the location that was bought. Uh, by my great-grandmother and her husband. And I also live on land that has been passed down from one generation to the other as well on Hilton Head. And we're very happy about that. That's pretty great. That's really, really great. You talked briefly. You mentioned your time with Penn Center. I was really interested to read as we were kind of preparing for the podcast that during that time at Penn Center, you, you gave Dr. Martin Luther King a ride to the airport. Is that correct? That is correct. What was that like? It was quite interesting. Uh, and it was more than once. Um, we, <laughs> we had interesting discussion, conversation, and uh, things that maybe... Maybe today uh, I look at it and say that some of the things that we talked about 
are still needs not only uh, on Hilton Head Island, but a greater need around the country, and that is housing. Uh, another one is health care. So those were the kinds of discussions that we had as we traveled between Savannah and Sinhala Island. I know that you also had a hand when you talk about health care. Um, you had a hand in what is what we now know in the low country as volunteers in medicine. How, what was it like getting that off the ground? Well, it was very interesting because uh, <laughs> Dr. Jack McConnell, who uh, was very committed and uh, very concerned about providing health care on Hilton Head Island to uh, persons that um, worked with landscaping and several other uh, areas on Hilton Head that did not have uh, insurance coverage. He, uh, he, he, he came to me and, and had conversation regarding the problem as well as the need that he saw and that he had recruited many doctors who retired here on Hilton Head who had a desire to provide health care services uh, without cost to persons that needed health care. And his real interest was to try to get the state of South Carolina legislature to agree to waive the license uh, requirement for those persons who would practice medicine with volunteer in medicine. And after listening to Dr. McConnell, and of course, knowing what I knew uh, about the need for healthcare services uh, in the county, as well as on Hilton Head, because my mother, Hannah Barnwell, was the first practical nurse and provided professional healthcare service <laughs> without being paid for the service. I was very familiar with what his discussion was all about. And so I agreed, since I had friends in the state legislature that would listen to me, I agreed to go to the state house and along with others, since I served on the board of directors for the Voluntary Medicine Organization structure, I agreed that I would go and talk with the state legislature about the need, and I did. And it appeared that my experience, <clears throat> excuse me, of, of living on Hilton Head uh, without having dental care, as well as other uh, healthcare uh, facilities and healthcare uh, needs was not available when many of us grew up on Hilton Head. I agreed to go to the State House and, and, and help. And uh, it appeared that the members of the state 
Senate and that committee listened carefully to the words that I had to say because I was very serious and meaningful about what I said. And they agreed to allow the volunteer in medicine on Hilton Head to, uh, to be waived, the doctors to be waived in providing health care services to the needy residents of Hilton Head. And it expanded. And it's still here today. Yes. It is yes. still here today. I'm very pleased that, that, that I've been a part of that. Tom, tell me what, what was an average day like growing up on Hilton Head when you grew up here? Well, that depends on the time of the year. <laughs> uh, because there was always lots to be done. Such and, as? Well, <clears throat> such as beginning in the morning, during the any time of the year, uh, you had to start the fire in the stove, in the kitchen, because we uh, had to prepare our food on wood stove. So therefore, you had to get up, put the wood in the stove, start the fire, and uh, then you had the animals that was in the pen that had to be taken out. Many families had a milk cow. You had to go out, milk the cow, regardless uh, of the time of the year. And of course, you had the horses in the barn and uh, had to go out and stake the horses out. And of course, there was the chickens that need to be fed. You had to feed the chickens. And so these were chores that, that, that had to be done early in the mornings, uh, typical early morning. And of course, if it was during the growing season of the year, uh, there were things in the garden that needed to be attended to. You had to pull the weeds from around the, the beans or the peas or the okra, cucumbers, whatever was growing. And of course, uh, you had to uh, pump the water to bring it in the house for bathing, water, cooking, as well as bathing. Um, so there were lots of chores to be taken care of on a daily basis. Wow. Uh, morning as well as evenings. And of course, if you, if you were fortunate to have uh, an older member of the family that, that lived fairly close and most families live in the neighborhood, uh, depending on number of persons in the family and the age of the children, more than likely, you had to go over to the older person's house and pump the water, start the fire for them in the stove, and, and take care of a few chores at that family member's house as well. So there were extended duties. Yeah, what did you do for fun as a kid? What would you do after the chores were done? Or Well, after during the summer months, uh, each community had a what we considered a ball field and we made our ball and from canvas and can uh uh-huh and, and twine put it together and we we we, we played 
what we considered baseball. We enjoyed fishing uh, in each community. There were families that had what we considered bateaus, and based on the, the time of the day and the tide, we would go out with our nets, cast nets, catch shrimp, and we were taught by the older persons where the good fishing drops were located. So we would go out and uh, fish. That was a good thing. Who who could who would and who could catch the larger fish? We'd come back and brag about that. <laughs> and of course, that was a part of our family uh, tradition and food, because. Fishing, hunting, and farming, they were the way of life prior to the bridge and development uh, between the families that left Mitchellville and settled throughout Hilton Head Island. That's amazing. And you literally wrote the book on Gullah. What what made you decide to write Gullah Days, the book that you wrote with Carolyn Grant and Dr. Emery Campbell? I've read it. I'm just telling our listeners, if you have not read this book, go get a copy. You well, will never look at Hilton Head Island the same way again, or the street names. I see street names as I'm passing by now and go, oh, I know, I know that story. What made you decide to tell that story? Well, thank you very much, as well as all others who are listening to purchase the book. We feel that we have uh, spent the time in putting together the facts as they did exist with the help of those persons that uh, over the years that agreed to help us to capture the real way of life on Hilton Head prior to the bridge. Uh, to answer your question, what what cause us to do that? Well, uh, I was fortunate to be able to uh, be very close to my grandmother, my father's mother, until she expired at the age of 107. 107, wow. Yes. Therefore, I had seen books that people wrote that had information in it that I said, my goodness, this is not quite true. I then started doing additional research after seeing information in books that I, I knew was not correct about the island. And one day I went to a session that dealt with professional writing of books. And to my surprise, among many other persons, there was Carolyn Grant. She was not a PhD then. And I said, well, what are you doing here? And she said, I'm just trying to get some additional information on the process and procedures and writing a book. I said, what about? <laughs> and she said, about Hilton Head. And I said, well, I'm here trying to 
do the same thing. I said, well, after this, why don't we get together and compare our notes? And we did. And we started doing that. And we moved along collectively. And at that point, I had started recording some of the, uh, at that time, some of the older people <laughs> in reference to getting the facts. And then we started doing some of the recordings together. And then we got to a point that I said to Carolyn, I said, you know, Emory is at Penn and we should approach him in, in the process of, of helping us because he does have resources that either of us don't have reaching out to some professional foundation folks and all that. Another segment of getting this project completed. She said, well, that'd be a good idea. So we approached, he wasn't a doctor then either. <laughs> I approached Dr. Campbell and he agreed. So that's how we, we came together. Came together to write the book? Yes, and it took us 20 years to complete the project. But we feel that it's a project that will be here in perpetuity and as factual. And you've told the story. You know, you, you've had such a role in obviously telling that story, uh, Mr. Barnwell, as well as the leadership of the island. I mean, you're actually, you're a former board member for, for our board, for our Chamber of Commerce Board of Directors. What, what do you, you, you've seen the past of Hilton Head Island. What do you want people to take into the future? of Hilton Head Island and what it can be? What would you like to see us learn from the past to, to put toward the future of this island? Well, some of it's very painful, to be very direct. You know, prior to the island having a town, there were many discussions regarding the population, the representation of the population uh, on council, how it would affect the lifestyle of persons, how it would affect the culture that exists on the island, things of that type. That, 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 that was a very painful part of the process of, of the town becoming a town. And the Hilton Head NAACP object very seriously to the point of going to court to stop the town from becoming a town. Mm -hmm. That did not the court did not approve of that, but it did allow those who moved forward with the process to become sensitive to local residential needs of water, sewer, drainage, and drainage, I point out, is still a need today in many of the native island communities 
what would I like to see? I would like to see communities continue to be positive, but more positive in the planning process, the inclusion process, inclusion of all segments of the island. For example, Charlie Brown, you mentioned the chamber. Charlie Brown, the late Charlie Brown. The late Charlie, the amazing former, Charlie Brown. Former chairman of the board of the chamber, Charlie Brown. He was very committed, not just to the Marriott Company, but to the inclusion of people with his company and the total community. Uh, since the demise of Charlie Brown, I'm not involved as I used to be, but I don't see that bubbling out as Charlie would consistently push for activities during heritage and many other time of the year activities happening, um, which you shouldn't have to do, but it is a necessity, I feel, for this community to realize that there were residents living here prior to the bridge. And many people don't even know that there was a threat of a chemical plant coming to Victoria Bluff that had it not been for then the Hilton Head Island Fishing Cooperative that joined a lawsuit to stop that chemical plant from coming along with the taking a shrimp boat from Hilton Head Island to Washington, D.C. with the involvement of the fishing co-op and other companies forming together to take that shrimp boat to Washington to then Secretary Hickel with uh, 46,000 signatures to stop that chemical plant from coming to Hilton Head. Hilton Head would not be as clean as the beaches are today and the estuary would not be what it is today because the water temperature was going to be uh, between 7 and 10 degrees hotter if that plant had located at Victoria Bluff, as well as the heavy chemicals would have been in the water and it would kill the marine life. Uh, so what I'm trying to say is that we need to pause sometime and, and, and look back and say, what are some of the things that we can now do to make things better in the future? And that include coupling those who are coming with those who are here in a positive sense, all coming together to make it an, a more improved 
community. And you have been part of so many pivotal and defining moments for this island. What do you love about Hilton Head Island, Mr. Barnwell? What do you love about it here? Well, it's a place that allows freedom. Uh, it allows opportunities. It does have the beaches. It have good air. And there are opportunities that are growing. Those are my real love. And for me, on a personal basis, I enjoy today still gardening because I can grow my organic vegetables and I can share that growth of organic vegetables with my family, my friends, and those that just walk along the bike path and would like to have a fresh cucumber. I'm going to have to time my bike path trip past your house, I can tell. <laughs> Mr. Barnwell, thank you so much for being with us and just telling us a little bit of your story and the story of Hilton Head, where can't wait to share it with everybody else. And as I said earlier, if you haven't gotten the book, go get the book, Gala Days. It's phenomenal. You'll be glad you did. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your program. Thanks everyone for listening. The podcast continues to grow and never miss an episode of our Five Questions podcast by subscribing to the Chamber Channel on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take a moment to download, subscribe, and leave us a review. It helps us reach more people. 